hear from people of different backgrounds with different experiences and different perspectives on taboo topics, hoping to create a more accepting and less judgmental world. Let's get it started. Let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Okay, I'll spare you guys the rest. Today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, sex and relationships and how important it is to communicate it. We have Janelle here with us today and I'm so excited for this interview because I fell in love with her TikTok. She just puts out these videos about sex and relationships that are super educational and super important. I love the messages that she's putting out there about a topic that's considered a little bit taboo still in 2020. Sex is still taboo. Here's Janelle. Yeah, I am a relationship and sexual empowerment coach, and I am really passionate about shame-free relationships specifically. Like, how do we take our love lives and our sex lives and let go of shame and look at fear in a whole new way? That's so awesome. So how did you even get into that? What made you go that route? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've always felt like I was much more interested in sexuality and specifically like manifesting sexuality in a way that didn't feel allowed in my like Catholic school upbringing. So um, I have the experience of being like inherently non-monogamous in my or like relationship orientation. And to me, it feels like an unchangeable part of myself. And like, I've always been like really curious about exploring like love and sexuality in like more of a broad, open way. And I felt such a deep shame about that growing up. So, you know, as I, as I entered into my twenties and learned like, oh, there's people who are actually practicing ethical, like non-monogamy or polyamory. I started experimenting with it and just did such a bad job because I didn't have a lot of guidance. Like I didn't know, you know, like what was right. And like, I did some things like out of integrity, you know, like promising to a boundary and then not doing it because like I wasn't intellectually or like emotionally intelligent enough, you know, with Mm -hmm. the tools to be able Mm -hmm. to know how to, how to not do that. So then I went on this crazy journey of shaving my head and hiked 5,000 miles across America. Cause I read that book wild and I was like, Oh, she like, she went on this reclamation journey. So I should do that too. And so along the way, I just like thought about all the ways I could have shown up better in my relationships. And I was like, you know, I just don't know. I just don't have the tools. Like I have the intention of like being a good person in relationship, but I don't have the tools. So I went and did this relationship coaching training called through the Somatica Institute. And um, it just completely blew my mind. And I was like, I need to help people who are self-actualizing on their journeys of like discovering the relationships and the sex lives that work for them with integrity and honesty. And it's a tall order because there's so much shame in our culture, you know, regardless of your sexual or relationship orientation, just so much shame about like what you desire. And, um, you know, if you want something kinky or if you want something different than what your partner wants, like, oof, there's just so much shame and pain. And a lot of that shame causes people to lie about their themselves or their intentions or their actions and it leads to cheating and all this stuff that's just it's so not okay and it's so preventable if we are all just like a lot more open and you know to communicating with each other about what we want so part of my focus is on helping people develop new communication skills 
Absolutely. I think uh, when I saw your videos on TikTok, I'm like, oh my God, I fucking love her. You should. <laughs> I was literally like showing my husband. I'm like, oh my God, everything she's saying, like that is what we love to, to practice. And that's what we learned as well as a couple. Because uh, in my previous marriage, um, I had lied and cheated because I felt a lot of shame. I grew up with a lot of shame. It's in my yeah. culture to, you know, totally. carry a lot of shame and guilt for who you are and relationships, sex, whatever it is, like any of that stuff, you know, and you don't talk about it. So that's why totally. I loved that you were actually one of the first people that I had seen they were putting, you know, doing this fun kind of videos, but also putting really good freaking information out there. Um, so yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I loved, um, I had seen one of your videos where you were like, well, you believe in non-monogamy, but you are not pushing it on other people, which I also appreciated because not everyone's going to agree with it. Like that's not, that's not their, what's right for them. So I love totally. that you were teaching just communication skills in general, because a lot of us don't have it. <laughs> totally. Um, and you know, that's something that I wanted to comment on uh, to, to you too, is like, I, I really love it when someone who's like in a monogamous marriage is like, I really love what you're talking about because I want, I am talking about things that are just like applicable to all mm -hmm. relationships for me, you know, even just saying like, believe in, in non-monogamy. It's like, it's, it's not like a belief. It's just like who I am. Mm -hmm. It's just an identity mm -hmm. that like, I did not choose and I cannot change. I don't want to compare social movements, but it's like, I imagine like, you know, feel being gay mm -hmm. and being like, I, I could choose to not live this life and like wither and die mm -hmm. and like pretend and be a man who's married to a woman, even though I'm, I'm a gay man. Mm -hmm. So like, to me, that's how my orientation to, to non-monogamy. And so like, of course, I don't think it, it applies to everyone because it doesn't like mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's just like something that they inherently need as like a form of self-expression in their relationships. That's what I've seen with with my clients and a lot of my community that I've formed around people who are also self-identify as that. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I know to a lot of people listening, that might be a really new concept and they might be like, that's, you know, that's bullshit. You can choose to be a swinger or not. And it's like, okay, like I get that, you know, and some people can choose to be a swinger or not. But like, for me, I, I feel very differently about it. And I know there's other people who have this like deep orientation around this. And that's, that's just our, that's just my truth. How did you come about actually accepting that part of yourself? Because you grew up in a very uh, traditional household. I can't, I, I remember the first time I ever even heard the word polyamory. I was like 20 and I just graduated from college. And to that point, I had been in monogamous relationships because I did not, literally did not know there was any other way. And I always just thought like my natural tendency to want to connect with multiple people was just like something I had that, that was like wrong about me that was bad about me that like needed to be tamed um and then I was reading an article about some tribe you know um some like hundreds of years ago that practiced some form of polyandry or poly you know poly, it, it wasn't polygamy but they mentioned the term polyamory it's like oh yeah like human civilizations and um other tribes like have practiced marriage and human relationships differently than we do in like Western society. And here's one example. And I was just like, <clears throat> and I, I immediately was like, I was like, Oh, I'm that. Mm -hmm. So like, I just like learning that there were other people who just did that as part of their cultural expression. It was normal. I felt so relieved. I was like, what? So then I just started doing some research 
about you know polyamory and it actually led me on this amazing journey in my early 20s to live on a bunch of intentional communities like communes around the wow. US where yeah. where there's like yes I, I only visited secular communities I didn't visit any like spiritual ones which mm -hmm. I would guess would usually be a lot more conservative sexually mm -hmm. um, but yeah I was visiting some secular communes where people were a lot more uh, free about like sharing intimacy with each other because everyone was already co-owning houses and lands and um, you know possessions like cars and so like in that kind of environment polyamory is a lot easier because mm -hmm. you're already sharing so much with each other in like a socially different way than the mainstream you know society that um, yeah that like polyamory can thrive in those environments so that was really interesting to see. And it really helped me realize like, oh, this is a, this is a lifestyle that could really work for me, but it's hard to make it work in a world where everyone's supposed to buy a house with one person and anyone outside of that little unit is, is actually a threat to your economic security. Mm -hmm. um, that's real. Like that's mm -hmm. a real thing. And so our society is not set up for polyamory in the yeah. way that it, it could be more possible in like a more tribal environment like a commune where people are really living more collectively mm. is it more sexual for you or is it the you know do you have a deeper relationship with multiple people how does it work for you personally because I know for everyone it's kind of different there are different forms Hopefully. of polyamory yeah right um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm Paul, I'm in any poly relationships right now because poly means like literally loving many people. Mm -hmm. I have, I like to have like sexual connections with, mm -hmm. with more than one person. Um, I mean, because of quarantine that hasn't really happened, but I have had some fun, like virtual dates with a couple yeah. of friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say that for me, I just like really thrive to like see myself expressed through the lens and the mirror of another person and um that can be sexually that could be emotionally but at the moment i don't feel strong need to like have deep emotional relationships with anyone but my my partner um but i'm you know maybe i will and mm -hmm. um i've definitely had fantasies of him and me having like a third partner like um mm -hmm. a wife kind of person and mm -hmm. having a poly family i've had dreams about that but i don't know i like we'd have to meet that person you know yeah. like she's not here now. So maybe it could happen, but yeah. Um, I do have a quick question before we move on though, but, um, what made sure. you leave the commune? Oh yeah. I loved it. It was great. Um, it was the, the commune I was living at for a few years was in Virginia and I'm from California. So I wanted to be back here and also living there. You kind of take, uh, I don't want to say an oath of poverty, but it's like very difficult to have any savings. Um, mm -hmm. because, all the work you're doing is like for the greater good of the collective, which is wonderful. And I saw with some of the people who had been there for like 10, 20 years that even if they wanted to leave, it was very difficult too because they didn't have a lot of savings or like, you know, real world skills that they mm -hmm. could apply to like getting a job easily outside. So I think it was for me a little bit of a fear of that, but also like missing California. And also like, I think now seeing my career as a sex and relationship coach I'm like oh like this was the thing I've been working towards like I feel like this is my purpose is to mm. is to like educate around that and like definitely couldn't make three TikToks a day 
in a rural commune where there's like barely any internet. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So what, you know, with working with your couples or individuals, what are some things that you're seeing pop up are, um, causing, you know, conflict or confusion and, yeah. So what are so what are some of the complications that are coming along with that you're you're seeing with these couples totally. or individuals? Totally. What I see a lot of is that people are so judgmental of their own needs. Like people are so afraid to tell their partners when they're feeling a little bit uncomfortable or like having maybe a boundary come up, which starts as a physical reaction. Like you start to like feel a little like oh, like lightheaded, you know, like maybe having trouble breathing. Um just you know, like heat somewhere, tightness somewhere. Mm. There's this, there's this moment where I try to help people just be like, Oh, I'm having kind of an uncomfortable reaction. Um, but, but like, we don't, we're, you know, we're not going to talk about it right now in this moment. Like I'm just feeling this reaction and just naming it so that, you know, like my truth, like I'm having this, this reaction. And then the other person can just be like, okay, thanks. Thanks so much for telling me, like, we'll figure it out later. Like what happens is like people deny their own needs and like try to just be cool. It's like, oh, I, I don't have any needs. It's fine. And then it just ends up in an explosive fight later, especially when there's alcohol involved because definitely um, yeah. because people are, we live in a, America is a cowboy culture where we're all supposed to be self-reliant and not have mm -hmm. any needs and not have to need anyone. And that's totally bullshit because we're all attachment animals and we yes. literally need our attachment people. Absolutely. We need them. <laughs> no, no question. So that's, that's a big one. Yeah. I remember when I was single again, after my divorce, I was reading, you know, different things and books about like how you need to learn how to be good on your own. And like you said, uh, we don't need people. You need to be, you need to be good with yourself. And I'm just like, but this still feels really fucking lonely. And like, I'm kind of miserable, you know? And <laughs> totally. Yeah. But that's what you said is what I've learned is we are social creatures. We need people, yeah. whether it's friendships, whether it's romantic, whatever it is, but it's a, it's a part of us. Yeah. Totally. And I, totally. and I, and I totally feel that I've learned more about myself with my partner, like with having, like with actual dating more than I would on my own, you know, because you have someone mirror, mirroring things that you probably didn't know about yourself or. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and I think that like, it's a balance too. Cause I always say to people, never stop investing in yourself. Like always you know, even if you're married, Absolutely. like keep pursuing your own hobbies and, mm -hmm. you know, your own personal growth. Um, and that's, you know, they say that's a magic trick to falling in love. If you haven't met someone too, is like the second you just invest in your own life and your own, you know, career and whatever, then like people start showing interest because you don't quote unquote need anybody. Right. So I think there's uh, a balance. Yeah. Yes. It's a balance of like, you acknowledge like I'm a human being. I have needs. I'm going to be triggered by things that happen in relationships because that's just normal. That's what happens. Um, it's a balance of, of that, just like accepting that you need people and also investing in yourself. Yes, absolutely. I hundred percent. I love you so much. <laughs> it's like, I, I love everything that you're saying. Um, cause I absolutely agree with you. So what are some things, I guess, sexually that you are noticing and is that is that what a lot of people come to you with now couples is that like a pretty mostly yeah. well I mean mo uh, sex is a huge part of every relationship mm -hmm. expression right and I sex often will 
um, give a clue to what's happening emotionally. So sex definitely comes up in my work with people, of course. Um, often there are, there's places to start that are like looking at emotional, emotional things. So like, I'm really passionate about helping people look at their own internalized shame. And, you know, I'm about to launch an online course that was all, that's all about your shadow and your, like your instinctual self-defense mechanisms and how those things can actually help you have better sex. Because in sex, we heal some of our deepest wounds. So like, for example, some people really love tantric sex mm. and the people who love tantric sex often have kind of a safety wound because something happened in their life where they felt like it wasn't safe to be in their body. And so they need a lot of slowness, a lot of connection. They need to feel safe in order for sex to feel meaningful. At the other end of the spectrum, is someone who wants to have like really raunchy, like, let's say like, um, you know, needle play sex. And, you know, society looks at that and is like, oh, that's disgusting. It's like, well, actually for that person, that is extremely healing because, um, you know, perhaps they had some wounds around like feeling free early in life. And so for them to do something really taboo in sex is like so fucking liberating because it's mm -hmm. like the only space where they get to just fully be like the, you know, the free like rebel they always wanted to be. And some people want to be really dominant or submissive in sex, which also like there's a myriad of ways that that could reflect some of your like deepest longings. But there's just so much about ourselves and like some of our core wounds and desires and longings that can be reflected through sex. So I love helping people, especially partners, figure out, okay, like where are we different? How do we want, maybe we want different things, but how do we stop shaming each other? and create win-win agreements knowing like, oh, sex is a place that we go to heal and to grow. It's not just like this act of like, oh, let's try this position and this position. Like, oh, you like that? That's gross. It's like, it's so, so much deeper than that. I absolutely love that because that's something I'm so interested in, intrigued by. I'm like, so why do certain people like certain things and other people like you know, I guess more vanilla or, you know, and then there's like some freak, freak, you know, like freaky things out there. And I'm like, how, how does that work? Does it come from trauma? So it's so interesting that you are, are doing a course on it because it, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. It's so fascinating. And, you know, I was, I was having this like TikTok banter with this woman who um, was like, she put a comment on one of my videos where I was talking about non-monogamy and she was like, um, you know, if you, if you love someone, you shouldn't need anyone else. And I was like, well, you know, that might be true for some people. And it is true for some people. But for me and my partner, we actually feel less trapped when we're able to connect with multiple people. And she was like, what you and your partner feel trapped by each other. And I was like, no, no, I don't think you understand. We're not trapped by each other. Both of us had very intense, like overbearing caregivers and so, you know, maybe sex is a place that we go where we get to feel free, like I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, feeling free to like show our sexual expression outside of just one relationship makes us like heals that side of us that often felt like our autonomy was kind of being stifled earlier in life, right? Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with our relationship not being amazing. It's like there are some, you know, maybe wounding that's being healed through this, but like, so what? Like, there's so much shame. It's like, oh, like something's broken about you. Like you want to do BDSM. It's like, yeah, like 
there's, we all have wounds and we all bring them to our sex and we all bring them to our relationships. And what's the problem with that? Yeah. There is no problem with that. Yeah. And I, I know I personally have, have dealt with some shame, especially, you know, I was molested as a child. So I think I got into, like, I was, um, maybe more sexual at an earlier age because of it or had sexual mm. thoughts or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And I think with some of the things that turn me on, I'm like, I judge myself for it. You know what I mean? And I'm totally. like, uh, where is this coming? And I, I think I know where it comes from. I, I'm pretty sure it's from the trauma. But when you have, but because I shamed myself for it for so long, I don't know. Like then you, you like you said, the shadow, like it, it becomes this really lonely place. And I, I, I hate being alone in that. I don't think anyone enjoys being alone in that. So for totally. me, uh, I'm so grateful that my partner, uh, that my husband is like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't judge me. And I'm like, you don't think I'm freaking weird, but it's amazing. To, <laughs> it's amazing to have. And I think that's why, that's why I love what you're teaching is that, you know, you do need to be able to share shame free. Totally. And we have to train our partners on how to hold space. Like your mm -hmm. partner's already naturally doing that. But, you know, sometimes we shame each other because we're so afraid that we have to do everything our partner wants to do because that's the dominant narrative, right? If you yes. are a bad partner and you are incompatible, if you don't want to do all the exact same things yes. and you feel obligated to do whatever your partner wants, it freaks you out. And so therefore you try to shut down their, their desire or their need. And so like part of what I want to train people on is how to be like, okay, I see that let's say you're, let's say you're like, okay, I see that you want to do needle play. Like, thank you for telling me. Um, I am like having a reaction to that. Like, that's not something I'm willing to do, but like, I, I want to understand more about what that means to you. Like, what do you like about it? How does that make you feel like, okay, like, well, I'm not willing to do that, but like, I celebrate that that's something you want. And I know that you can't control these things that you desire, you know, and maybe even just fantasizing about it and not doing it is great. Like so much of what we fantasize about, we don't want to happen in real life. Mm -hmm. Like we might just want to think about it, like you were saying, or talk about it. Like mm -hmm. I have rape fantasies. Mm -hmm. I have fantasies of like a power, like a powerful man is like subduing me. Um, I've totally had that too. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. It's very common for women. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we want that to happen in real yeah. life. It like in, in, in the case of a lot of women, it's often we have consensual non-consent fantasies because we want to have permission to just enjoy sex without being a slut because of mm. all the slut shaming for generations. So to be able to just be like, well, I didn't ask for it. It's just happening to me and I'm mm. enjoying it can be very liberating for a lot of women. So like, this doesn't mean I want to happen in real life, but like, it's really fun to fantasize about it or create it in a super safe, you know, sacred container with, with my partner who I trust. Yeah. When I would sleep with people that I wasn't actually in a relationship or actually, honestly, I wasn't really comfortable having sex with anyone until my husband yeah. now. Um, cause yeah. I didn't necessarily feel, I always felt shame or yeah. I wasn't comfortable in my own body or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, based on what you went through in your childhood, that's like, of course. Yeah. So I think, sense. so sex is so different when you can actually communicate and share freely, yeah. you know? Totally. Um, that's why I think yeah. it's so important because not a lot of people talk about sex or um, it, it is very like embarrassing if you bring it up as a conversation. And then I'm like, it shouldn't be because it's so vital to relationships. And to our health. Know. You know what I mean? I, I believe it's vital to our health. Totally. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I, I'm just dealing with my own internalized shame all the time. Like 
when I make a TikTok that's just like purely about sex, like a lot of them are about relation, like communication. But if I'm like, hey guys, just a friendly reminder, don't go straight for the clit. And I do it as a kind of a goofy little like dance with some words. Like I have, I like have a little bit of a panic attack afterwards because I'm like, oh my God, that's just so explicit. And I'm like, Janelle, that is like some dominant narrative stuff you got to unlearn because like, you know, and people will comment like this app has children on it. And I'm like, this app has 14 year olds in bikinis twerking. Like, wait, oh how God, is yes. that? How is that less like problematic than me teaching people about sexuality and like healthy, healthy sex? Like, I'm yes. sorry. No, yes. <laughs> I disagree. So, um, if I was, if I was 14, you know, which is when I started being sexually active, I would have loved to have a me who was educating about healthy sexuality and shame-free relationships. <laughs> Hell yes. Literally. I, I didn't hear from anyone because we're not allowed to talk about it. And right. maybe you talk, talk about it to your friends, but it's like, they don't know as much, you know, like they don't really know yeah. anything either. So we can't yeah. talk to our parents. We can't talk to an adult. So exactly like what you're saying. What if we had someone else? outside of our family unit or school or whatever, who is openly talking about it and totally. telling us what's okay, what's not okay, what we have, what that we can say no when we're uncomfortable, that we can yeah. explore if that's a desire, that making totally. things okay and acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that's part of what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. So what are some... What are some tips or advice that you would give to couples who are maybe struggling in the communication and sexual factor in their in their in their relationships? What are what are what's some advice that you would give? Well, first of all, I would say that being able to share things that you might desire or that turn you on if they're different like as we were saying earlier you do not have to do anything you don't want to do and once you really let go of needing to like fulfill all your partners like wildest desires or fantasies it can be a big relief that will keep you from shaming them for what they want mm -hmm. so that's a big that's a big first step is to know like you don't have to do anything you don't want to do uh, another thing I would say is if you're not sure what you like really want or want to do, like this is especially true for a lot of women to like really be vulnerable and to be like, I really like, I need some help with exploring like my own desire. Like, can we just like, really slow down and do a lot more foreplay or can you give me like a long massage so that I can just like relax? Like I think being able to ask our partner for um, new ways of just like really sinking into touch and vulnerability with each other through physicality is really great because we get into routines in long-term relationships where yeah. it's like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So to be like, yeah, like I, you know, have a vulnerable conversation. That's just like, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to talk, you know, to ask about this, but I think it'd be so nice to have like an intentional, like slow down kind of date. Like that can feel really meaningful to you know, people of all genders, but mm -hmm. that's a really sweet, sweet way to reconnect doing like massage or sensual massage or, um, yeah, just like really going a lot slower. Maybe I give a lot of couples the advice of, um, having a week where they like do connection um, and sexual activity, but without orgasming. So instead of like being orgasm focused, just like really focusing on physical sensation, just like fingertips on skin and like maybe like edging to orgasm, but not actually orgasming. Um, it can be really great because it takes a lot of pressure off of like needing to sex to be a certain way and just 
taking it back into the realm of the sensual, literally of the senses and like of enjoying the emotional connection. Mm, yeah. Enjoying everything. Yeah. yeah I, I have noticed that, you know, you do, especially when you get, when you're with someone for a while, you kind of just get into the routine and then it's like, oh, we just kind of do the same thing. And it takes out the emotional aspect of, right. of what sex is, is really about, which is connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, something that can be really sweet in the Tantra realm is like just like doing eye gazing with your partner, like sitting on their lap in Yabyam where one partner's sitting on the other person facing them and just like doing eye gazing together. Um, a lot of couples have never done that. And it can be a really sweet way to reconnect. And, you know, that doesn't appeal to everyone and that's fine, but it's something, you know, eye gazing releases, um, releases oxytocin. So just to like gaze into your partner's eyes for 20 seconds can be a really profound thing for a lot of partners. Mm -hmm. So what if you have a partner, okay, you express this desire or, and then you have a partner who's like, well, okay, I'm not comfortable with it and maybe doesn't allow any exploration. What do you, what do you do in that sense, in that situation? Totally. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, on the one hand, the partner could be like, could be like, that's disgusting. In which case you then, then the conversation becomes you saying, I totally get that this is triggering you. Like, I see that this, you're having a reaction that this is hard for you. Like, and like, I just want to share my, share my truth with you. So like, in that case, the conversation just becomes about the communication pattern. But if your partner is actually like, yeah, I'm just not that really interested in that. Um, I would say like, okay, like just can, can we think about any win-wins, like any agreements or compromises we can try that would, you know, maybe get a little bit more of both of our needs met, even if not all the way. So like, for instance, if you're really into Tantra and your partner really wants to do dominance and you guys are both like, wait, how do we, how do we rectify this? It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe there's some way where we could just do a lot of the Tantra eye gazing, like holding, caressing for a while. And then I switch over into the dominant mode where I tell you you're mine as I slowly like tie you up with silk scarves or something. Mm. Like there's always a way to kind of like play with some compromise. And that's what the, the course that I'm about to do is, is about. It's like, here's how you like really negotiate these different needs. And you know, sometimes it's just completely not possible. And you guys just have to sit together with your disappointment that like, there are like some hard boundaries that neither of you are willing to do. And just being able to share and like sit with your disappointment together is so profound for a lot of people instead of just like wishing the other person would change and fighting and being resentful. Just like being in the, like that sadness together of like, I don't actually think there's any compromise we can make. That's, that's you know, that, that can be really helpful. And you know, another thing people could do is outsource that sexual act with someone else, which is not an option for a lot of people who are, who want a monogamous container and that's totally fine. And for some people, um, it can be, it can be an agreement that they, they might want to do, even if they don't consider themselves poly. Like I have a, a couple who they've been married for like 40 years. They're a little bit older. And, um, he goes and sees like a sex worker once, once a week or not once a week, like once a month. And, you know, um, she is really great for her because she feels like she doesn't have all this pressure on her to like fulfill him. Cause he was like constantly wanting to be like, you know, sexually satisfied. And that was the compromise they came to. And, um, it really works for them. And that wouldn't work for a lot of people, but 
you know, there's a lot of options once we like expand beyond like this, like very narrow definition of what a successful relationship is, which is like two perfect people who have perfect sexual compatibility. It's very hard to have that. And so outside of that, there's a lot, a huge spectrum of possibility, you know, that's, that's worth exploring. You know, we're told by society what's right or wrong, and we don't want to even look outside of that because we're scared. Um, and I think taking out the fear factor, kind of have like what you're saying, um, having those conversations, maybe even sitting with the disappointment, sitting with those kind of tough emotions. Yeah. You know, you can look outside outside the box of what you yeah. initially. And you know, even just like talking about fantasies can be really great. So like a lot of people will just like, let's just, you know, maybe I'll masturbate and like, um, like while I masturbate, I'll tell you about this fantasy that I have, like that can feel really vulnerable and like kind Mm -hmm. of embarrassing. But if your partner's like, yeah, like totally, you know, like I'm not really in, I'm not turned on by that. So like, I don't want to like be masturbating or having sex during that. But like, if you want to share that thing with me, or like, we can watch that like porn together, if it's in Mm -hmm. with my, within my boundaries you know, and maybe it's not, maybe you're like, I don't want to watch this girl being like deep throated or whatever your fetish is. But like, you know, if you want to go watch that porn about that, like maybe when I'm not home, right? I mean, there's like so many different ways to negotiate agreements and compromises. Yeah. Do you have any theories on why um, maybe some men and women are a little bit more sexual and have a higher sex drive or even creativity with sex compared to other people who are not as open-minded naturally? You know, um, there's this great book called um, Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski. And she talks about how like some women have a lot of breaks and some women have a lot of accelerators, you know, specifically talking, talking about women. But new studies are showing that men there's a lot of men who have a lot of breaks too who like don't want to like have sex on the first date like it's this myth that men just like want to sow their seed and are always ready for sex like some men are but some men aren't you know so i think there's just like a wide array of how humanity expresses itself sexually Mm -hmm. and there's really no right or wrong way it's good to just do some exploration of what's true for you and so you know, if you're someone who has a lot of breaks, meaning like, I'm very cautious about sex, I'm very concerned about sexually transmitted diseases, I want to be really, you know, like, very cautious about how many partners I have. And like, I don't want to have sex on the first date, like, that's fine. That's totally normal. You know, there's people who who fit that of all across the gender spectrum. And then there's people who have a lot of accelerators who they're just like, I'm pretty much ready to go. Like, I'm often thinking about sex, like, I'm uh, the the risk of STDs is worth it for me if I get to have more hot sex, you know, like, mm-hmm. so there's just like, it's just very humans are very different. And um, there's really no right or wrong way besides like dishonesty and abuse, you know, and that's another thing. If you experience abuse, it can totally affect your sexual expression in a myriad of ways, too. So like, you know, some things are kind of biological. Um, yeah. And some things, some things are are not are out of your control based on your childhood experiences. And mm-hmm. you know, the the fact is we just need to stop judging each other for this wide array of diversity and just start, you know, de-shaming it all and just figuring out win-win agreements when we have slightly different or very different, you know, desires or sexual needs. Mm-hmm. I think what I really want more of for the world right now is for people to just really know that like 
feeling shame around sexuality is so normal, like an experience that everybody has. And I think like being shame, shame free or fear, you know, being fearless, it doesn't exist. Like you cannot have no fear and you cannot have no shame. Like these things in some ways can be very helpful because they're just information that's like, okay, like I see I'm having some, uh, an emotion about this and it's an opportunity to just examine it and be a little bit uncomfortable as you look at what's make, what's causing the discomfort. And our reaction as humans is to stifle anything that feels like discomfort immediately. Mm-hmm. And to, and, and not only that, but to blame the people around us for causing it to us. Very normal. Everyone does it. I do it. You do it. Everyone mm-hmm. does it. That is our instinct. And so this is a challenge to humanity to just like zoom out and take a couple deep breaths. When you notice that's happening, you notice like you're having a reaction. It feels like shit. You want to blame other people for it. Just take a few deep breaths and ask it like, why are you here? What can I learn from you? Like what information is here? If everyone did that, our relationships would get so much better because we would just be able to excavate our own needs and fears and boundaries just a little bit better if we could just breathe through it and know it's totally normal to have these feelings and we can choose how we react to them. Absolutely. I love, love that message. I thought of one more question before you leave. Yeah, (laughs) Um, great. So I actually had someone message me about this and they're, okay, she is, she grew up in a traditional Indian family and where, you know, sex isn't talked about. It's also like looked down upon if you are having sex before marriage. And then she had gotten married, but for some reason still had this fear around sex. So I think they've been married for three, I think three or four years and they haven't had sex yet. And yeah. now the husband is, you know, he's getting frustrated. It is, it's also his first time too. So yeah. one of, I know one of her fears was like, well, I feel like he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, yeah, he kind of doesn't because he's kind of learning it with you, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. And then now totally. he's also resorted to porn um, and she's right. not happy about that. Yeah, right. The porn is representing for her that like there's some inadequacy or lack Mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in that case, it would be really great for that couple to maybe go see, um, you know, a a sex sexuality coach. Like Mm -hmm. there's other people who were trained in different modalities, but like I got trained by the Somatica Institute and they have a lot of great um, sex, sex and relationship coaches who can help couples who are navigating this like okay how do we figure out like what we desire and how to touch each other you know and all the sessions are close on right but it's just like this really sweet embodied experience where the practitioner might be like okay so like why don't you guys take turns just like gently caressing each other's like shoulders what does it feel like like how would you like for the person to touch you would you like it to be lighter would you like some grabbing, you know, just like very basics of like, how do we want to be touched? Mm -hmm. What are some of our fantasies? How do we practice talking about this stuff? Um, It's totally normal to, to find this real struggle because yeah, like where we grew up in cultures where it's so taboo to talk about that then as, you know, married 
or just as adults, it's like, well, what the heck do I do? So yeah, it's like, they don't want you to, yeah, they don't want to talk about sex. They don't want you to have sex before marriage and then all of a sudden get married and expect you to pop out babies. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Like there is this assumption that like, once you get married, you're just going to figure it out. But if you like have no training up till then, you know, about it, then it's not, it's not fair. It's really hard. And so many people experience that. So yeah, I would just, I would just really encourage them to talk to a professional Mm-hmm. about it um you know perfect so now we can yeah. recommend you <laughs> yeah great <laughs> so yeah, do you do I have mm-hmm. I work yeah I work with couples um I'm only doing couples right now virt- in virtual sessions and I'm about to launch um a membership group for individuals and for couples as well where people can do you know weekly exercises with their partners or you know like weekly like personal growth challenges around like having a shame-free relationship and sex life. Um, but yeah, if for, you know, in that particular, for that particular couple, if they want to talk to someone who's like very, very familiar with their cultural background too, like, you know, let, they can contact me and I could connect them with someone who they would feel really comfortable with. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Have you gotten a lot of maybe hate for what you're doing uh, by family members or community or whoever, TikTok? TikTokers? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I've gotten a lot of hate, um, amazingly, from anyone. Um, I think there's just like a lot of like sort of shame and judgment that mm-hmm. I experience from people. Um, you know, like especially on TikTok, if I'll say something like, hey, if you want to have casual sex, that's totally fine. Just be honest about it. And, you know, conservative people will be like, no, that's not fine. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. well, there's lots of different ways to be alive. And yeah. I think there's like a, there's a, there's a paradigm that's like, no, there's actually only one right way. It's like the way of my religion or whatever. And like, okay, that's fine if that works for you and your, and your community, but like, that's just not true for everyone. And so like that, but, but I mean, that's my belief and they think I'm wrong. So, so like I do like definitely encounter judgment from people who are like, okay, but there is only one right way. It's like this way of my, whatever, my paradigm. Um, and yeah, for me, I'm just like, well, there's lots of different ways, ways to be in. So like shaming people doesn't cause people to change their behavior. Um, it might temporarily as just sort of like a coercion, but like what actually gets people to examine their behavior and like live their best life full of honesty and integrity is um, self-compassion and empathy and curiosity. So that's what I'd like to see more of in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. have to agree with you because the shame doesn't work. The judgment doesn't work. Um, yeah. like you said, it just creates a secret. Like for me, it, it creates a secret life. Like, you know, a lot of lying, totally. a lot of self-hate. Totally. Yeah. We don't need totally. that. We don't need that. In the but world. everyone's going to have feelings of like judgment and shame come yeah. up. Like, yeah. so like if, you know, if you were like, if you said something to me that was like really edgy for me, I would have those reactions, but I can choose how I react to them. That's like the whole thing. It's like, I, I can be like, okay, Janelle, I noticed that like what she's saying is like, you're having a reaction, like, that's totally normal. It's okay. And then like hourly, I'd be like, okay, like, in- you know, interesting. Like, that's new for me. Um, like, tell me more about that. Or like, yeah, like, you know, that's bringing up some things for me. I'm not sure I can talk more about that, but I love that that's true for you or whatever. It's like, we need to learn how to manage our own emotions and self-regulate and, and just like be gentle with ourselves. Like, we're all going to be judgmental, but we don't have to outwardly project it on people. And we can just be like, what does this mean about me? Like, oh, I see that my values are this, but like this person's values are this. So how can I be curious about them 
and anthropological about what they believe and how they live a life instead of projecting my shit onto them. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, yeah, it's like turning more inward to really question why you're feeling a certain way what, and yeah. what you're actually feeling. I love it. Thank you so much, Janelle. I have literally learned so much from you. I'm so excited Aww. for my husband to hear this, but anyway. <laughs> Thank you. I love talking about this stuff. And thanks so much for reaching out to me. I looked at your list of podcast topics when you invited me and I was like, oh yeah, you've talked yeah. about such interesting stuff. So I'm so glad to, to be a part of it. Until next time, this is Shilpa on Chic Lotus Controversial Conversations. <laughs>